Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Middle of Nowhere has a never-ending cachet of horror stories and happenings that'll freak you out. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true middle-of-nowhere horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, be sure to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true middle-of-nowhere horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This happened about three years ago. I'm 17 years old now, but still, I was traumatized after this happened on my birthday. My name is Gianna. I'm a female, and I lived in a small town in New Jersey. I had about 9 friends, and we were a group of 10. My friends were Alan, Ryan, Ernesto, Ben, Tim, Jessica, Kai, and my cousins Willie and Ruth. Ernesto and I were closest. We had known each other since middle school. I was about to turn 15, getting ready for my birthday party and was excited. I decided to have a cabin party, so my mother decided to rent out a small cabin for my birthday, a cozy place in the middle of the woods where we would have access to a kitchen, a living room with a TV, and three bedrooms. That day was going to be cozy and peaceful. My mom helped me with the decorations before my friends could arrive. We hung balloons, streamers, and string lights so that they could give a bit of cottagecore vibes. By the time we finished putting up the decorations, I heard knocks at the door. I had gone to get it and my cousins and friends arrived as soon as I saw Ernesto, I gave him a tight hug and welcomed them all inside and said, you're all just on time. As soon as we got settled, my mom ordered us pizza. After eating pizza, we all huddled together and started telling stories. Sometime later, my mom told me she had to go into town to get some things. My mom was a bit worried about leaving us all of there alone. I assured her that we were all old enough to watch ourselves and I promised my mom to check all the doors and lock all the windows. Once my mom left, we all went outside to start a fire and cook some s'mores. We were all having a great time telling scary stories. By the campfire, one of my friends Jessica started to tell this true crime story about a female serial murderer. We were laughing and giggling, hiding the fact that we were a bit scared, but Ben told us that his mom and dad got a divorce after he came out as gay. His mom supported him, but his dad was crazy and definitely didn't agree. His mom and dad split because of it. 
He would constantly harass him and his mom. His mother got to the point where she had to file a restraining order against his own father, and Ben nearly crying while Kai was holding his hand. We asked him what his father looked like if he had a photo or anything like that. He did, and he showed it to us. After showing us the picture, we suddenly heard a loud crunching noise coming from the woods. Remember that we were in the middle of nowhere, and the next neighbor was probably about a mile or two away. That's when Ernesto said, What the hell is that? I said in a calm voice, Maybe it's an animal. Alan, the bravest of the group, said, Oh, hell no. I've never heard an animal make that sound before. I started to agree with Alan because what kind of animal makes a crunching sound? I guess I should clarify, it wasn't like a crunch of a twig or a leaf. It was the crunch like if you were biting down on a bone or something. We got back to making some s'mores. My cousin Ruth told another story. Her crush on this girl in school. We were so deeply interested in her report that we forgot about the sound until we heard it again. But this time, it was much closer. We all got creeped out at this point. We had to go inside. We all power walked towards the cabin. As soon as we all got inside, I locked the doors behind us and made sure the deadbolt was locked as tight as it could. As soon as we all got inside, we decided that we should watch a show before hitting the hay. So we all agreed to watch some anime on Netflix. After we watched a season of the show, all of us went to bed at the same time. We had to split up since three of the rooms were downstairs and three of the rooms were upstairs. Four of us were sleeping in the living room and the rest slept upstairs in the bedroom. Kai and Ben slept in one of the rooms upstairs while Alan and Tim slept in the other. We all wished each other a good night and we all went to sleep. My three other friends had already gone to sleep while I was on my phone scrolling through Instagram until I started feeling my eyes until I started feeling my eyes get heavy. Once I felt more tired, I plugged my phone into the charger and drifted off to sleep. I may have been asleep for just a few minutes when I heard loud banging at the door. All four of us were instantly awake and one had to go see who was at the door. I decided to be brave and check it out. All our hearts nearly skipped a beat. The cabin was a bit old. It did not have a peephole, so I couldn't see who it was at the door very well. The rest of us decided not to wake up the rest of our friends because we didn't want to creep them out if it was nothing and we were sure it probably was just an animal or a stray dog. But the direction of the sound changed and moved towards the window. Precisely the living room window. Someone was tapping very hard on the window pane. I got down on my hands and knees and carefully went to look out the window. I pulled back the drapes just a little bit to see who was outside. What I saw made me freeze in fear. I was face to face with a very tall man, probably in his 50s. He had no shirt on. The guy was only in boxers, and he had no socks or shoes. He was holding a hunting rifle. The moment he saw me, he smiled at me with a broad smile. He was also waving at me as if he was taunting me. He pointed to the front door as if he were telling me to let him in, but I instantly recognized that this was Ben's father from the photo that Ben showed us. I dropped the curtain back and went downstairs. I got my cousin and my friend awake and I told them what I saw and who was outside. They were all scared, just as I was. We decided to all go upstairs and huddle together. Ernesto and Ryan went to wake up Alan and Tim, and then went to Kai and Ben's room. We all told them that there was a crazy person outside the window. They were all so tired, and when I say crazy person, they all jolted awake, now entirely on guard. When Kai and Ben asked who was outside, I was hesitant to tell them, but I said, It's your dad, Ben. I saw Ben's face change into a horrified expression, and seen the tears start to fill up in his eyes. Jessica and Tim tried to comfort him, 
including Kai, who was starting to melt down. Some of them were skeptical and asked me if I was dreaming or something. I assured them that I was fully awake the moment I said that. Suddenly, we start to hear loud banging sounds coming from the door along with the voice from Ben's dad saying, Let me in, little kids. We were all horrified, standing still and not knowing what to do. One of us or some of us had to go downstairs to get one of our phones to call the police. We all decided to go down as a group. Ben's psycho of a father already knew that we were already in the cabin, but we didn't want to let him know our location within the house. Tim went to grab his phone. You're probably wondering whether we looked for weapons, like in every horror movie. If you're wondering, of course we did. The rest of us ransacked the closet looking for something to defend ourselves with. Jessica and Ruth took out some chopping knives from the kitchen. Ben got some pepper spray he found. I eventually got a metal bat, and Ernesto grabbed a pocket knife. Tim was tasked with calling the police, and that the service was tacky. We were having a hard time getting through. I told him to hold on, and then I would check my phone. Before I even got to the living room, we heard a loud banging from the front door. Ben's dad was trying to kick down the door. After many more kicks, he put a big hole in the door and his foot went through. He said, I'm going to kill you. The rest of my friends were all screaming like crazy. Before he could unlock the door, I ran over, approached him, and sprayed him in the eyes and nose with the pepper spray we had. His dad jumped back and screamed in pain, screaming racial slurs and bad words. Ben swung open the door and yelled at me, saying, Gianna, hit him! I picked up the metal bat and turned it hard on his dad's head. His psycho dad fell to the ground, not moving. We all ran back upstairs and ran inside upstairs. We all worked together to barricade the door. Then I remember to... Then I remembered Tim still had his phone. I asked him to let me see it and call 911. Luckily, the call managed to get through. I told our situation to the operator, our location, and how many of us there were. The operator told us to stay in the barricaded room until the police arrived and that they would send a few officers to the scene, and we hung up the call. But we realized the door was now open wide so the psycho could come in, and nothing stopped him. We sat in the room for what felt like an eternity until we heard sirens in the distance and could see flashing lights around the cabin. There were about five police cars outside. Luckily, the sicko was still unconscious when the police arrived, and they took him away in handcuffs. When he woke up, he found himself in a police car. The police then greeted us and asked to give a statement. We told them everything that happened, and they made sure we weren't injured. We were all in touch, very traumatized about what had just happened and shaken up, and we all just wanted to go home. The cops stayed with us until our parents came to pick us all up. As I said at the story's beginning, we live in a small town and it didn't take long for everybody to hear the news. We discovered that Ben's father had somehow found that Ben... We discovered that Ben's father had somehow found out that I invited Ben to my birthday party at the cabin and planned to kill him and all of us. According to the police report, he was incredibly high on illegal substances when he tried to break into the house. Ben has been seeing his therapist but I thank him and myself every single day. If it weren't for intelligent thinking, we wouldn't be alive today, and I'm happy we made it out of those woods alive. I live in the middle of nowhere, Ohio. You can call it rural now, but growing up, there were only three houses on our three-mile-long road. Since then, farmland has been sold, and many townies, as they call it, have moved to the area. Growing up, it was very quiet. I was a single child and my parents were at work often or tending to livestock. At night, coyotes often yipped amongst other nightlife noises, but the shadows scared me the most. 
I wouldn't see them outside very often, just the occasional moment when you feel like you're being watched. I saw the shadows, mostly inside of the house. Your home is supposed to be safe, a place where you can get away from the creatures and the scary things. If you can picture an L-shaped hallway, my bedroom was at the base of the L, my parents' room at the top, and the family room at the end. Almost every time I would leave my room to go to the family room, I swear I would see something out of the corner of my eye. Sometimes it was low to the ground on all fours. Other times, it was taller, almost taking up the entire doorway. But whenever I would look towards it, nothing would ever be there. The shadows would never follow me to the rest of the house, and they would never go inside my bedroom. They stayed in my parents' room. I had to go to my parents' room to use the shower, and I would turn on all the lights going down the hallways in the room and the bathroom. I never saw the shadows while I was in the room, but I also tried not to spend much time in there in the evenings or at night. A weird coincidence is that their room has a crawl space under it, not a full basement like the rest of the house. I would avoid the access point to the crawl space any time I could, and any time I went in the basement, I would never go to that area. I just felt like something was watching me and waiting to pounce. The shadows upstairs seemed threatening because they were so dark, but I never felt like my life was in danger per se. The feeling in the basement was different though, it was more hostile, and I did not like being down there alone. Call it childish fear, or an overactive imagination, I don't care. It scared me, well, at first. My first memory of seeing them was probably age 10. As I got older and came into the whole, I don't care I'm a teenager mode, I started shrugging it off more and more. I would still see them, but I just wouldn't look anymore. I would keep walking, like, okay, you're there, let's coexist. I never told anybody about this. My parents are very by the book and would have dismissed me or sent me to some place to help my mental instability. We do have native heritage, but it is several generations back. I have found arrowheads in the creek nearby, but it's hard to say if any of that is related. I have since moved and my parents still live there. I honestly don't visit them after dark, so I cannot say if they are still there or not. Thank you for listening to my story. I know it's not the most horrifying story, but it's generally odd and strange and it made me feel creeped out for many years. My boyfriend and I adore hiking, and there are so many places to go because of where we live in Oregon. Anyway, we decided to go hiking after 11pm to one of the most used trails in our area. We had both been there multiple times and neither of us were ever concerned that something would happen. There was only one thing we were kind of nervous about wildlife that had just happened to jump out at us. We parked on the side of the road and walked to the start of the trail. Even though there was a fire, the path was immaculate and stable. We started walking up the trail and we just started talking about paranormal things, witchcraft and even wendigos. I know, terrible move on our side talking about things like that. Now, it is to be noted that we both had flashlights and they worked just fine, brand new batteries and everything. We were both being very observant as to where we ended up on the path. As we got deeper into conversation, we both realized in just a few seconds that we were not on the trail anymore, and nowhere near one. I mean, it was like out of a blink of an eye, we were on the trail, and suddenly, we're just in the middle of the woods. Suddenly, I remember walking on the course, and then we just weren't. I freaked out and told him we needed to start backtracking, but thankfully he said no because we could not see the trail around us or anything we recognized. If we tried backtracking, I would not be here writing this, probably. 
He told me we needed to start walking up the hill in hopes of either standing on a ledge or finding the path again. We walked up for a while up the mountain when thankfully we popped out on a fire road. We walked down terrified and came out on a road about a mile away from where our car was. I just wanted to share this weird experience because I have no idea how to explain it. It's almost impossible that we would just wander off the trail and not notice. I know we were in conversation, but we were still very diligent of our surroundings. I also need to note that we have barely any memory of the time out there. It just reminds me a lot of these strange missing 4-in-1 stories I've heard on the Swamp Dweller channel, and I wanted to send in this short experience to see what the Swamp Dwellers think. Thank you for sharing my story, and I hope somebody in the comments can give me some sort of information as what the heck happened to me. This happened in early November of 2016. I was moving to Philly from Chicago, and my boyfriend had flown in to help me drive across the country. My parents live in Ohio, so we were on our way after making a pit stop there. Being broke at the time and wanting to save on tolls, we decided to take the toll-free route, landing in Philly in about 10 hours. Initially, we were going to leave my parents' place early, but we got distracted and didn't leave until about 4 p.m. Not a big deal. I've driven from Chicago to California and hiked parts of the PCT and the AT by myself. I was mostly bummed because the sun would be down by the time we get to all the pretty foliage in the Smokies. Now the route we picked essentially had you dipping in and out between West Virginia and Pennsylvania. The parts of West Virginia we would be driving through are home to the Mothman appearances. I was excited about it as those stories fascinate me. Living in this city, I don't often get to see a clear night sky. Having road tripped a lot, I know sometimes more scenic highways would have had better viewpoint pullovers. So, when we were in West Virginia, I told my boyfriend to Google one and see if anything popped up. Sure enough, he found one. Being busy driving, I didn't bother to look at the GPS and followed his directions. I thought it was weird that the GPS told us to get off the highway since usually these vistas are located right on the road, like a rest stop. Whatever I thought. We take the exit, turn down this dimly lit road, and it leads us up a smaller mountain base. I find it strange that there aren't any other cars around. I saw a rusty sign for a scenic lookout, which pointed us down what looked like a service road. The road itself was not paved, and the only other road leading off was gated off. Both of us got a peculiar feeling. I turned off the music because it was so creepy quiet, and my radio now sounded like it was blasting in like concert speakers, even though it really wasn't that loud. We could hear every leaf my car was crunching under its tires. After going maybe half a mile down this road, we got way too spooked and said F it, and went back, and I went to make a three-point turn to get out of there. At this point, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. We drove maybe 50 feet before we saw a tree lying across the road that we had just drove on. Me turning around perhaps two minutes later, like I said, this was almost impossible. Things were so quiet that we would have heard this tree fall behind us. Panic started to take over, and something told me that we couldn't just sit there and think long and hard about what to do. So my boyfriend said he would go see if he could lift it and get it out of the way. I had my brights on and was scanning the surrounding woods for movement. I felt eyes on us but couldn't see anything. The tree didn't appear old. It was as if someone knocked it over just in front of us. As soon as my boyfriend was out of the car, I first told him that I loved him and then locked the doors. I know, I'm an asshole. Thankfully, he could move the tree just enough for my car to squeeze through, and as soon as he was back in the car, we gunned it out of there. 
I'm very spiritual and believe there are things in the woods that don't always... I'm very spiritual and believe there are things in the woods that we don't always see. My boyfriend, on the other hand, is an atheist. That night we both agreed that something sinister was out there in the woods with us. It might seem anticlimactic, but this genuinely freaked me the hell out. And if you guys have any ideas who, what, or why this random tree fell in the road without any noise, I would love to know. I never enjoyed camping. I savored the comfortability that modern life affords. But every year, my old group of high school friends would go up to the same lake, set up the tents on the same shorefront, drink the same beer, and tell the same stories. I always did enjoy that. It was like having a lousy job, but all your coworkers were awesome. It was making it just bearable. So, for the two to three days a year, I put myself through crapping in the woods for the laughs that came with it. We'd all drive up on the Friday after work and usually take the Monday off following the weekend and stay until then. We'd park and hike two kilometers along the water to the campsite we always went to and set up there for the long weekend. The last time we went camping, I was running late. I had a project to finalize and it was sent back by my boss to be tweaked. I couldn't leave the city with my girlfriend Kat until after 9pm. A storm was at our backs the whole drive up to the country, and it seemed to be headed right where we were. Then we hit traffic. An 18-wheeler had jackknifed, and the road was getting cleaned up. The pre-storm rain caught up with us. Kat and I didn't get to turn off for the camp parking lot until after midnight. I recognized all four of my friend's cars parked near the waterfront. Then a flurry of text came in from my buddy Jeremy. The reception was spotty, so you could never really count on communication that way. The text had been sent a few hours apart. Jeremy told me they'd switched sites this year, and they'd finally made it to what they called the island. The island was always spoken of as being forbidden, mainly because it was near impossible to get to. It was diamond-shaped, but longer than wide. It was surrounded by sharp rocks and filled with dense trees. A heavy current came at it, head-on, and split the water rush to both sides. This made it impossible to reach because the only side that wasn't overcome with rapids and sharp rocks was the backside, which had a high, rocky cliff that jetted up 30 feet above the water. The ridge had a large, flat surface that looked out onto the lake and would have been the perfect campsite. If only it were accessible. Because of the heavy rapids and rocks, it remained untouched and was the place everyone wanted to camp but no one could. Kayakers and boaters avoided the rapids around it because of how sharp the rocks were. It was a beautiful thing to look at, but treacherous and potentially fatal to attempt to conquer. That year, there had been a severe drought in the country, though. It had not rained in weeks, so the water was down, and the rocky lake bed of the rapids was exposed. You could now walk across the island. Jeremy said the group made a snap decision. They trekked across and camped on the site everyone had always wanted to be. He told me they had set up their tents on the rock slab that overlooked the lake and saved me a spot near the back. I felt uneasy reading the text. I didn't know much about the lake or water flow systems, but with the storm at our backs, who knew how long the rapids would stay down? We could get trapped on the island. Kat felt uneasy about it too, but we packed all of our gear and trekked along the waterfront to our usual campsite. From there, we could see the island and all my friends' tents on the rock slab that overlooked the lake. The storm had finally caught up to us, and the rain was getting heavier. 
Kat and I decided to stay at our usual spot for the night, and I set up a tarp overhead so we could pitch the tent without getting everything soaked. When that was done, we were both exhausted, and she crawled into her sleeping bag. I ventured out in my rain slicker to the lake's edge. I sent a few texts to Jeremy and the others. None of them went through, though. I looked at the island, which was 100 yards away, and focused on the tents. Only two tents were visible, both with stationary lights turned on inside, causing them to glow like fireflies in the dark landscape. I couldn't see any movement, though, but that was not surprising. It was late, and they had all probably gone to bed. As I turned back to my tent, my flashlight caught strange shapes of rocks in the dried-up rapids, like they all had abnormally curved edges. I didn't think much of it, and joined Cat in the tent. When Cat and I woke up the following day, it was still dark out, even though it was past 10 a.m. The storm was growing heavier. We put rain gear on and went to the lake's edge to look out at the island. The storm had caused the water to rise, just a few inches higher, but it was starting to move quickly. The visible tents looked the same on the rock slab. The flashlights were still on in the same positions. No movement. We figured the idiots were probably still drunk or hungover and had no idea what the situation with the storm was. I yelled across to the island, but the rain and thunder covered my voice. Kat and I talked about it and decided to trek across the rocky floor of the lake while we could. We climbed down onto the lake bed, five or six feet below, and made our way through the muddy, rocky terrain. As we got closer to the island... I noticed the strange-shaped rocks I had seen the night before. There were a lot more than I had previously seen. They seemed to surround the entire island. There were more rows of sharp rocks jutting up in huge pointed boulders with multiple carved and sharped edges. None of them looked naturally eroded and formed by time, though. They did show aging, but they didn't look like they had been there forever, if you get what I mean. They looked like they had been sharpened like fish hooks. No wonder kayakers and boaters didn't come this way. As I looked closer, I saw inscriptions carved into the sharper hooked rocks. The carvings were deteriorating, but I could tell they were symbols. Someone, long ago, was responsible for these symbols and hooks. We continued toward the island, narrowly avoiding the sharp rocks and slippery ground. Along the island's edge, we found a portion of stones that opened and gave an entrance. We climbed the rocks and made our way onto the island. The woods were dense and dark, so we decided to move along the side of the island and towards the rock slab and campsite. The storm was starting to get heavier, and boy did it make the climb up hard, but we found our way to the campsite and saw four tents. There was a soggy fire pit, some beer bottles and cigarette butts, loose garbage and foldable chairs, but no people. None of my friends were there. We looked inside all of the tents and everyone's belongings were still there, but they themselves were missing. Cat thought maybe they were in the woods. Perhaps even they found a cabin or shack on the interior. Something to investigate or ride out the storm in. Then I saw the carvings. The giant slab of stone we were standing on had lines of the same symbols from the hooked rocks on the lake bed. Cat noticed them too and mentioned they looked indigenous. We found a rough pathway into the woods, but the path wasn't more than just trampled grass, shrubs and bushes, and some beer cans and cigarette butts. We followed the trail as it led further into the island's interior. The dense trees blocked out the rain from above and any light the sky gave off was long gone. The interior quickly felt like night and the sounds of the storm drowned out. All we could hear were the tall swaying trees overhead as we moved through the mossy, vine-filled woods. The trail of cans and butts ended and the path disappeared. We thought about turning back, but then we heard something. A whimper. 
It was coming from somewhere up ahead. It was animalistic. It sounded hurt and afraid, whistling upwards at the end of each whine. I continued forward. Cat followed behind me. On the path ahead, there was a long, nylon-looking rope. We followed it and found it leading us to the source of the whimpering. I realized I wasn't following a string. I was following a leash. Jeremy's pit bull, Oscar, was crouched under an upturned tree, trembling. He had several small slashes across his body. None were profound, but they all looked like they hurt. We approached him calmly and managed to lead him out from under the tree's roots. As we inspected him, it was undeniable that an animal had attacked him. Cat and I whispered to each other, deciding to take Oscar and get off the island and hike back to our car for cell reception. Something terrible had happened. We cut to the right, heading directly for the island's edge, and not back through the woods where we came. Not back to the tents. Then we heard more sounds ahead of us. They were echoing through the dark trees. Cracks, snaps, breaks. It sounded like something was splitting thick tree branches. Oscar started whimpering again and pulled away. Kat took that as a sign and started backing up with Oscar. She motioned for us to go to the opposite side of the island and cross there, but I needed to see what the sounds were. I motioned for her to go ahead and crept towards the cracking trees more. Up ahead, I could see a small clearing in the woods. I peeked into it and saw all the leaves and grass were red. In the center, a hole was dug into the side of a large hill. There were clothes strewn about, all stained with some browning red shade. Then I saw the bodies, if you could call them that. I saw Jeremy first, though it was difficult to tell it was him aside from the bright neon hunting slicker he always wore. His body, just like the others, had been viciously opened and exposed like a fillet. To my left was the source of the sounds. I think one of my friends, Tim, was ripped into pieces. Something was crouched between the two halves of his body, a tall, skinny, vile creature. The beast was all earth tone, greens and blacks and browns. It had tufts of thick, coarse black hair. It looked like it was sticking out on various parts of its leathery skin. It was solid and robust and clawed through Tim's thighs. The creature pulled out Tim's femur and bit down into it. I looked around at the other bodies and realized they were all missing their bones. The creature didn't eat their skin, their muscle, or fat. It wasn't interested in the meat. It just wanted to eat their bones, which had been torn, pulled, and ripped away from the muscles and ligaments. Even the skulls had been broken apart, and the insides cast aside as the head was devoured. I watched the creature's jaw grind down on Tim's femur. The chewing was horrifying, the breaking, crushing, and pulverizing a bone. Then, the femur snapped, and the familiar crack filled the woods again. A whimper came from the woods behind me, from Oscar. The creature jerked in my direction. I ducked behind a tree before it saw me, but I knew it would be coming. It hurt Oscar. In a low, crouched position, I started rushing through the woods, following the path Cat and Oscar made. But I wasn't quiet as I had hoped, and sticks under my feet began to break, echoing through the trees. A screech roared from the woods behind me. I ran faster, knowing the creature was aware other people were on the island now. It's island. I heard branches breaking and heavy movement behind me as the creature gained on me. Then I started to listen to the storm again. The trees were becoming less dense, and as I was getting to the other side of the island, I saw an opening and rushed for it. I got to the island's edge and was greeted by a raging thunderstorm. 
The water had risen, and the rapids were back, though they were only half their average height. I looked at the shore and saw that Cat and Oscar had made it across. I climbed down and quickly started trying to make my way to them. The rapids were at my waist and pushing hard. I kept grabbing onto larger rocks for support, but all of their sharpened edges kept cutting my hands. Then Cat screamed. She was staring behind me, at the island. I turned back, only for a moment, and saw the creature climbing down to the lake bed and following me through the growing rapids. The animal was taller than me and moved much faster than I, but it had the same problems trying to get footing. I kept going, Cat yelling for me to hurry, the beast behind me gaining. It was only feet away from me now, and its long splinter claws could almost grab my shoulder. It swung at me, narrowly missing. I was still another 20 yards from Cat in the shorefront, and I knew the creature would catch me on the next claw swing down. The only thing I could do was let my legs go from under me. Just before the creature swung down, I let my legs go limp. My body was immediately rushed forward with the rapids, and before I knew it, I was 30 yards downriver. But I slammed into one of the boulders, and a row of sharp rocks dug into my side and ripped through the bicep of my arm. Another, more poignant and pointier rock put right through my shoulder. It was excruciating, especially with the water pushing me away from the boulder, causing the wounds to open and tear. I heard that horrible screech again and looked up to see the creature had done what I had done. Only the rapids had carried it further to the right. A sharp, long rock was sticking through the creature's abdomen. It had been impaled and was trying to pull itself forward and off, but the hooked edge of the tip was too jagged, and the rapids kept hitting the creature, forcing it back to the hilt. The creature didn't look like it was going to get free, and I realized I'd suffer the same fate if I didn't get loose from the rock I had been snagged on. I managed to pull myself forward and free from the stones lodged in my shoulder and arm. The hooks on the ends tore off a good chunk of skin and meat when I did, but I was free. I slipped, struggled, and fought to the shore where Cat and Oscar were waiting. I rolled both of my ankles and could barely stand up. Cat helped me up, and we looked back at the rapids. The rising water and heavy current were overcoming the creature. We could only see it from the chest, and it was beginning to give up. But when it saw us watching, it got a jolt of energy and was finally attempting to pull itself off the rock. We didn't wait around to see if it did. I did my absolute best to rush Cat and Oscar through the woods, and we found a cottage not too far. We called the police from there, and an extensive investigation started. But ultimately, all that was released to us or the public was a wild animal attack had left several young adults dead on an island they weren't supposed to be on. I still think back to the rocks and boulders surrounding the island, the sharp ones, the one I'd been stuck to and the one the creature died on. Up close, they were all stony fish hooks. I always thought fish hooks were used to catch something to eat, but I was starting to think these were used in the sense of keeping something from trying to escape. Whoever sharpened those rocks, however, they did it, and they knew exactly what they were doing. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Thanks for listening to these creepy, downright strange middle-of-nowhere stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp growing its ever-expanding waters. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, and still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you'd like to support the Swamp even further, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Don't forget to join me over on Twitch, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 